Annyeong, welcome to I Made a Huge Mistake, an Arrested Development podcast. I am your host, Darren. Uh, with me today, I have two guests. First of all, from the Taxes and Tater Tots podcast, uh, I have Jeremy Frank. Hello, Jeremy. Annyeong. And I also have a uh, former guest of this podcast, uh, but also a talking cast, Cast Next Door and As If, uh, and that is Eric Harza. Hello, Eric. Annyeong. And today we're going to be discussing... Uh, season 2, Episode 9, Burning Love, which was broadcast on the 30th of January 2005, so we're well into the the new year. Uh, this episode was written by Chuck Martin, who I've spoken about a number of times before, and Lisa Parsons. And I have a feeling this is Lisa Parsons' only script um, wow. for Arrested Development. Um it was directed by Paul Feig. This is the second of three episodes he's directed here in the second season. He um, he is he directed a couple towards the end of season one, and he'll be back for one more episode this season, then a couple more in season three. Uh, Paul Feig, obviously a well-known director um, outside of Arrested Development. So, uh, first of all, before we get into the plot, um, I'm going to ask uh, Jeremy, because you haven't been on the podcast before... Um, when did you come to Arrested Development? Did you watch it when it was on the air on Fox? Did you catch it on DVD or were you a latecomer on Netflix? I was an embarrassingly latecomer. Um, I held off watching it for the longest time for a reason that even at the time I knew was not particularly a good reason. Just I never got around to it or it was something that was always easy to write off. And it wasn't, uh, and it wasn't until I got to college and people kept pressuring me to see it, that I eventually watched it and really loved it. Um, so this probably would have fallen at some point after it was off the air, but before Netflix was so universal a thing that you could just pick it up and watch instantly. It's weird because um, I'm finding that a lot of people, particularly Americans, um, were either big fans, and when they got to college they had the DVDs and they kind of made everyone watch it, or they got to college and someone had DVDs and mm. made them watch it. So there seems to have been this kind of thing in the 2000s of um, of a lot of college students kind of forcing this cancelled show upon their uh, their dorm mates. Well, it becomes a cult thing. It becomes this like awesome thing that you need to tell people about in order to get it spread around more. Okay, well, so let's get into the, the plot then. Um, the main plot, I would say, concerns uh, Michael and Sally Sitwell. And uh, the auction, I would say, is kind of like the main uh, driver of a lot of these plots. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, we get to George Sr. Is, is still in the attic. And he <laughs> decides to order a hot tub for himself, which, yes. uh, you know. Which he finds many purposes for. <laughs> yeah. And then, of course... He just makes it sound like the most practical thing you could do. Like, you'd be an idiot not to get it. <laughs> oh, absolutely. We- Which I'm also surprised, especially for how poorly constructed throughout the series we see this house is, the Mm -hmm. idea that that attic could even support the weight. It's a joke that they never make, but at at least in this episode. um, You would have thought they would have had one of the rooms downstairs. Something would have fallen to have indicated that the hot tub is pushing its weight down. Mm -hmm. Um, We don't actually get the kind of um, the sinkhole that's under the house being a story until the end of this season. So yeah, um, yeah. 
I guess maybe it's just a joke they haven't made yet, but yeah, mm-hmm. given how flimsy this house seems, it is <laughs> odd that they would think a hot tub in the attic would uh, would would kind of work. Um, and then we also kind of get a couple of running jokes with um, Job and Lucille too. Um, you know, Lucille too is kind of she's in control of the company um, from a previous episode, and Job has decided to. Uh, address this as he has a number of problems that the family have had, which generally involves him having sex with whatever the problem is. Yep. And then there is the 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 runner, the kind of runaway wolf. I don't know where it came from. I don't know where it goes to. But basically, that is another kind of like running joke. Um, and then we get a little bit of the open marriage is still kind of going on, and we get a little bit of uh, you know Lindsay and uh, Moses Taylor. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but let's start at the beginning. And speaking of the wolf, uh, we get a mention straight at the top of. Um, the Peter and the Wolf um, read-along record. Yeah, yeah. Um, we 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 kind of see how you know Michael says it's part of the the decorations, and um, George Michael explains that his girlfriend Anne wants to have a Christian music bonfire. Mm-hmm. Um, to which Michael says that sounds like some mild fun, <laughs> which I, <laughs> I quite enjoy. And I love the transposition of the finger quotes of being. It's not. It's not a Christian music bonfire. It's a Christian music bonfire. I, d- I think. Yeah. And um, George Michael explains it's where they uh, they burn all the satanic music. Yeah. And we see George uh, George Michael's love here of the Jerky Boys. I find hilarious. Uh, I love the Jerky Boys. My dad raised me on the Jerky Boys. Uh, just riding in the car, and just the fact that this awkward, gawky. Little kid, uh, George Michael, loves the Jerky Boy so much is hilarious to me. I think there's there's something so humanizingly off-putting about it that it's... Granted, I don't have the same personal connection to the Jerky Boys that, that you mm-hmm. do having grown up with it. I, I'm only tangentially familiar with them. But it mm-hmm. seems like it, it's almost a kind of dated comedy reference that... It absolutely is. <laughs> that, yeah, that... that he is so off kilter and off step with what is cool or normal that getting into it now or or still having this affinity for it now just shows you how easily ostracized he is. The Jerky Boys kind of stopped being a big thing kind of after 2000. So the fact that George Michael, I mean, you know, obviously this is set in kind of like 2004. So if we imagine it's a few years before, it means that George Michael kind of got into the Jerky Boys just after they stopped being <laughs> like a thing. Well, so the thing from even, then, the thing from that time would have been Crank Yankers, right? That that was that uh, yeah puppet comedy yeah, so he's, call show. Yeah, he he's like slightly out of date on what would have been kind of hip, which I, I just I think yeah. is really funny. Um, but yeah, it's it's kind of like a really kind of very specific kind of reference as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, uh, like Johnny Brennan. I think he's still kind of, uh, kind of big. He's kind of like a stand-up. Mm. Um, so you know, uh, he he um he he also interestingly uh, does the voice of Mort Goldman on Family Guy. Oh wow! Um, and has done since kind of just after the Jerky Boys split up, kind of around two thousand one. Um, mm. So <laughs> so. Uh, that's kind of ha- that's weird because I mean I remember the Jerky Boys being a thing because there were there were a couple of um, DJs over here that used to play some of their um, mm. their their kind of pranks, um, not like do the pranks but they used to play clips of the the actual kind of like skits. Um, yeah, yeah. 
so, so I, I was kind of aware of them. Um, but yeah, it's weird that the, really I only really know Johnny Brennan from his voices in Family Guy rather than mm-hmm. uh, from the Jerky Boys. Okay. Um, but I love how George Michael kind of Im- tries to do the Jerky Boys thing himself, but he can't. He can't quite do it <laughs> because and he ca- he calls people he knows. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and they instantly identify him as himself. <laughs> in fact, he only ever and he does this later on in the episode with Anne. He only ever pranks uh, yeah. Michael, and he says "Dad" when he's doing the pranking. So yeah, yeah, he instantly knows it's George Michael. So great. Yeah. Kind of love how like incompetent uh, he is, even at just kind of pranking. Um, mm-hmm. Although curious enough, in this flashback where he is doing the prank, uh, we see him with um, what I believe they call hardware on his mouth, um, mm-hmm. and um, he has a friend. Bizarrely enough, I don't I don't know like who's kind of like laughing at George George um, George Michael's kind of incompetence yeah so. yeah exactly do we ever see him again I no no he's just there in that one flashback and of course you know george michael's bedroom is paint is kind of decorated as it always has been for like a very young boy um <laughs> so it kind of looks even more incongruous uh in yeah. the flashback um and then this is where george michael and i don't know if maybe he's kind of rubbing off on george michael a little bit here but he kind of plots to get air conditioning in the banana stand by having his mm-hmm. father cover his shift at the banana stand. Yep. And I love how he kind of t- he tells that to maybe as he kind of leaves the scene. Um, you know, after she cuz he asks her, he says, "Can you cover for me at the banana stand?" and she says, "No." No. Yeah. And obviously, you know, I guess he he kind of knew she wouldn't want to do it by herself. Maybe he's not interested in any kind of work that is just her. <laughs> No, something that she she's inherited from her uh, her mother. Yeah, and uh, I was going to say and her father, but <laughs> well, as as we'll see in uh, never mind. I think this was deleted scene from another episode where he basically drives up somewhere and then turns around. Yeah, want to go in and actually do anything. Yeah, that's where she convinces him it's take your daddy to no to, to follow you daddy's dreams. Daughter, daddy, work yeah. day, daddy, daughter. Yeah, something like that. Um. Yeah, so I mean, I like I like Maybe's entrance where she's like, "Hey, George Michael, Jesus called. He wants your Thriller album." Uh, which is kind of such a, a kind of cruel line. But yeah, the the um, there's mm-hmm. I mean, aside from a few kind of jokes, there's not really a great deal about this Christian music bonfire. We do get to see Steve Holt, but we don't, you know, I guess because of the way that Maybe twists it into something else, it doesn't. It's not really like mm-hmm. a huge kind of thing it's, it's just kind of running plot line yeah. yeah it's just kind of a little tiny mentioned here and then picked up later yeah, yeah it's just kind of a little uh, it's good for a couple of jokes um but yeah mm-hmm. and of course we get lucille who is driving the kind of the main plot which is um she wants someone to bid on her at the charity auction and of course michael <laughs> you know he alludes to the storyline from the from a year ago where he says isn't that buster's annual job and then obviously we, we flash back to when Buster inadvertently bid on Lucille 2 uh, with $10,000. And it's worth noting that yes. a year ago when Buster did that, um, Lucille 2 said how grand because she was looking for a grand <laughs> gesture, which is something which will come back later in this episode. But yeah, so we get this kind of the, the big start of the, the whole kind of auction thing. Last year it was to save the wetlands. This year it's to... Uh, reseed the greens. Build a new think. golf course or something. Yeah, yeah. reseed the greens. <laughs> reseed it. <laughs> yeah, 
which there's something very male potency about that. That <laughs> which yeah. sort of not to, not to get too intellectual here, really sort of plays mm. off what we see at the end with um, Michael, who has had all his potency just removed. Um, yeah. To, yeah. To, reflect back and i've got a lot more on this topic don't you worry but to play <laughs> off the uh title of the episode he winds up burnt we get an interaction of course between lucille and Lindsay, where she says she has the afternoon free and lucille says really did nothing cancel <laughs> <laughs> i love lucille's burn so much it's, it's so good and um of course you know she needs to borrow a fur um and <laughs> michael says weren't you protesting some gun hunter thing and um, Lindsay says, I stopped by. I hadn't chosen a side. Uh, <laughs> and this is where we were introduced to Frank Wrench, um, which is the character um, played by Moses Taylor, uh, which is portrayed by Rob Corddry. So, so many levels here to get to dig down into. Um, and I'm going to say this is probably Absolutely. the first time that I kind of saw Rob Corddry in anything. In fact, to the point where I didn't realise that Frank Wrench... Uh, was not a fake person. Uh, For a a moment, I thought this really was a person called Frank Wrench. And I only say that because, of course, the last time we had an actor in this series who um, Lindsay was interested in, it was Tom Jane Mm -hmm. playing Tom Jane. A known actor. Mm -hmm. There there are uh, other uh, celebrities who make cameos in this. Um, You have Jack McBrayer, who would go on Mm -hmm. to do 30 Rock as the waiter. Uh, yeah, and you yeah. have Kevin from The Office. Uh, yes, oh, really? I didn't notice bit. him. Yes, um, as... Hold on, who did... Uh, oh, as the gun store owner. Ah, uh, okay, yeah. okay, okay. Yeah, there were a couple like little cameos from, from actors who obviously went on to bigger things. Um, but it was just odd that like Rob Corddry seems to play this character so well. And they introduce him by saying that he was People's Choice nominated actor Moses Taylor, uh, famous for his portrayal of the rule-abiding detective Frank Wrench, star of the television <laughs> show. stop at stop signs. Wrench, and yeah. And run kids <laughs> with broken legs or whatever to places. Hilarious. Yeah, and I like how they do like the kind of, um, kind of like a Quinn Martin-style TV introduction, like over, over his, as he's being, you know, kind of described by the narrator. Mm-hmm. But I, I kind of love how he's, he's talking about you know, the different rules about guns. Um, and I love how he sounds shocked that you're not allowed to sell a gun to a kid. Um, <laughs> to a kid. <laughs> and holding up that up as some kind of, like, infringement of the Second Amendment and how well, limited that... gun sales are in America when it's, in fact, the opposite. Well, I think he's actually holding it up as, like, evidence that you don't need any more rules because, you know, you can't sell to a kid, so why do you need more rules? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and then, of course, he does mm-hmm. a trick of <laughs> shooting a gun... <laughs> The, it's the most cartoonish, I think, that this show kind of gets, uh, where he shoots a mm-hmm. gun that has the Second Amendment written on a little <laughs> flag that in. pops That's out. So great. Yeah, which is kind of such an odd joke. Um, and when we get back to Lindsay and Lucille, you know, Michael asks why she she needs one of the furs, and Lindsay says, "I'm cold," and Lucille, of course, just replies with, <laughs> "So am I." No. So <laughs> That's amazing. And Jessica Walters is really great in this episode, um, particularly as she, mm. you know she's trying to persuade Michael to bid on her, but she's also kind of taking all these shots at people. 
uh, throughout the episode. Well, I love the, the recurring I need a favor line from anybody <laughs> in the Bluth family. It's all about exchanging favors between one another. I love how I love how Lucille says uh, Michael can't bid on uh, Lindsay because he's bidding on Mother, which of course is how she talks to Buster. <laughs> that's a, that's something she would say to Buster, and he would he would willingly yeah. kind of accept that that's the situation. Uh, it doesn't really fit with mm. Michael. Um, and then, of course, um, you know, Michael says, except that I'm not. And then he has to go work at the <laughs> banana stand. And I love how Lindsay says, yep. I'm going to see if I can get a wrench to strip my nuts. She says, I've tried to be sexy. and just got away from me. Uh, <laughs> She's not quite pulling it off today. <laughs> There's no. something interesting there, too, that, you know, we always view her as the very sexy. Uh, as the very sexual and, and sort of one of the cooler siblings. And while it'll wind up being discussed, I think, further on in the episode when we look at her relationship with Tobias, this is, I think, mm. one of, if I have my chronology right, this is one of those first instances of seeing her, in that sense, kind of vulnerable and seeing mm. her off her game and not as powerful as we think she is. Yeah, although the, the same thing happened at the Bachelorette auction the previous year where she went out to the wetlands and then she got lost and then she got a taxi back and then when she came to the auction, she basically smelled like the wetlands so Michael had to like kind of pity bid on her. Oh, that is mm-hmm. true. I forgot about that one. Yeah, but this is this is kind of more noticeable because she, you know, the, because of the open relationship, she's like in the previous year, she just wanted to get bid on. Whereas this year, she's actively trying to find someone who will bid on her because they want her. Mm-hmm. So Tobias is hunting the wolf and uh, Lindsay is hunting for anyone else. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then this is where Tobias announces that uh, he has bad news. The Blue Man Group and him have parted ways. And he says, seems I am officially no longer an, a standby understudy. <laughs> standby understudy. So great. And of course, Michael says, cease and desist. <laughs> Which I kind of love, uh, and we see Tobias is kind of because well, he took out an ad. Yeah, he's his ad in a trade magazine where he's just kind of like um, doing his own blue man kind of uh, act, which I think is quite funny. Um, mm-hmm. And this is where um, you know he he says he's going to be uh, he needs to prove himself and he's going to be a man's man, um, which obviously has other implications. Um, and to which Michael says, oh, I think she knows that. Yep. One of the one of the very few kind of... In this episode, I don't think there's really that much about Tobias's kind of sexuality, but that's kind of one of the only little uh, kind of um, jokes about it there. Um, and then, of mm-hmm. course, we get George Sr. in the attic, howling like a wolf. And, of course, Tobias yeah. gets very nervous saying that the wolf is upstairs. Uh, and obviously Michael kind of waves it off by saying it's it's the Peter and the Wolf record, uh, which it, I like how quickly that joke kind of got paid off because the Peter and the Wolf thing mm-hmm. is kind of like three little jokes. First of all, it's not actually a record; it's a home fill. Yeah, yeah. Which is what Tobias says. He goes, "I thought that was a home fill," um, and obviously it helps set up the whole kind of missing wolf joke. Um, but also it, it kind of gets Michael to be able to kind of cover himself here and obviously, you know, a little bit of a call forward to what's going to be going on with the uh, the music bonfire. And mm-hmm. then obviously, <laughs> you know, George says, you heard my call. 
And I, I just kind of love how he did this like really loud wolf call, and he doesn't think that people have yeah. heard it. It's kind of uh, George Senior would have enough awareness of the outside to know that there's a wolf on the loose, and he's trying to use this as a ploy to get Michael's attention, and is trying that, or is just a random. I don't know. I think it's sounds. yeah. I think it's it's weird because he never does this in any of the other episodes. He just waits for Michael to come up to the attic. Mm-hmm. So I think it's just a joke that they <laughs> wanted to put in this episode. So they did. But it kind of really makes no yeah, sense. Yeah. Though it does give George the chance to say that there is a wolf on the loose and his name is Oscar. <laughs> which, <laughs> which I kind of love how angry he's been getting about this. And obviously, you know, Michael makes it clear that mm-hmm. um, at this particular point, they think, you know, that he's a fugitive and he's in a different country. Like, you know, there are very, at this point, I think it's only Michael who knows that uh, George Sr. is in the attic. But over the next few episodes... Like basically everyone will kind of find out mm-hmm. um, that, stumbles onto him one way or the other yeah yeah that he's up there so it's interesting that they managed to keep George Senior kind of this secret for this long in terms of the storyline and just, yeah. just have him interacting with Michael but obviously we get Jeffrey Tambor as Oscar as well interacting with the rest of the family so um, mm. it doesn't it kind of doesn't feel like he's uh, he's missing really he's been going through all the stuff that's in the attic um, you know, including kind of like uh, maternity clothes and the like. Um, and mm-hmm. he's found a catalogue that has a hot tub in. And he, he says he can use it for so many things. You know, it can be his water supply. Uh, there's pre-made boil-in-the-bag meals. You just toss those in there. <laughs> Which, <laughs> even before he actually gets it and that turns into a bad thing, I wouldn't have guessed that that would be a good way to do those. Never, ever. Only a man like George Sr. would figure that out. <laughs> Yeah, and I like how it kind of finishes with Michael saying that, you know, we're done pampering ourselves in this family. And then it cuts to him in the um, in the banana stand saying, I would like to get the biggest mm-hmm. air conditioner you've got. Um, <laughs> and then we start the theme as we meet Sally Sitwell, played here by uh, Christine Taylor, uh, wife of... Mm. Um, ben Stiller, who ben Stiller. I don't think had actually appeared in the show yet, but he will really. Yeah, wow. he will in future. Um, his picture had appeared on the wonder, on, yeah. on the front of Poof magazine, but <laughs> they, they they put him on the front of that, not knowing if he would actually turn up as the character. So uh, that was kind of just uh, like a, a one-off joke. We find out that you know Michael um, has been in love with Sally Sitwell for a number of years. In the flashback, we see um, that she wanted to go steal a golf cart, um, but he didn't go with her because um, George and Stan Sitwell had a rivalry going. Um, one which has been um, in episodes before this is kind of as Job was poached by the Sitwell company for all his great ideas. Um, you know, th- 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 we've seen Stan Sitwell already. Um, and the narrator tells us Michael had always been in love with Sally Sitwell, um, which is odd because this is the first time that we've ever heard her mentioned. And even when Michael was young, he kept thinking about going to college and marrying Tracy. So I'm not sure where this fits yeah, in. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I love <laughs> love how um, in the flashback, George says, uh, looks like my boy's going to be sticking it to your daughter, Sitwell. And <laughs> obviously this leads to Job when he turns up and sees Sally Sitwell. Um, he calls her... Stickwell. Yeah. Sally! Stickwell! And I just kind of... I love this rec- 
recurring joke. <laughs> yeah, I love how Job kind of kind of hangs on that word and kind of really. And then I love how Job's caught, and he's like, um, "Well, no, I never." Uh, Michael used to say that, and obviously Michael's like, "No, I did not." Uh, Job is always uh, in, on his uh, segue. Yes, and the funny thing is, here he does. Um, he does the. He tries to do the fireball trick, um, which uh-huh. in previous episodes has never <laughs> kind of worked. But this time, he basically yeah. ends up squirting Sally Sitwell with lighter fluid. And of course, yeah. he covers it with. Um, but where did the lighter fluid but come where from? Where did the lighter fluid? Which, I, which I, it... I, to, to not to get too psychosexual here, but it's almost like a <laughs> premature uh, ejaculation, ejaculation that uh, having just seen Sally, um, yes. and the, the sort of excitement that uh, also the sort of impotency that that comes into play mm. again, that the inability to perform. So to speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I would. Both of them too. Yeah. I would mm-hmm. consider. Yeah, because Michael is kind of emasculated by being in the banana stand again, which is kind of where he was like twenty mm-hmm. years earlier. Um, and yeah, Job does kind of uh, as he as he says in the um, other episodes, he does shoot his wad a little early um, <laughs> on that particular trick. Uh, yeah, and obviously <laughs> Sally says to Michael, "Maybe I'll see you over at the club. We never did take that cart ride." And of course, Michael says, mm-hmm. and we never will, because I'm not there, <laughs> nor am I here. I mean, I'm here today. <laughs> and I just love how he kind of can't kind of express exactly what he wants to say. I think it's quite uh, interesting. Uh, and then, of course, when Job kind of burns him by saying smooth, Michael, and then he goes like her father's head, chest, arms, legs and ass. <laughs> just... <laughs> um, which, oh, which I love, and I, I love how he says. Um, and I hate the guy, but at least he's got <laughs> satiny and smooth, probably. Which I just kind of, I just kind of love. It's, it's such a kind of weird thing that he's kind of obsessing with. Um, and then obviously mm. Michael sets up the the whole gag of car troubles, um, to which yep. to which Job says it's called taking advantage. Which I don't think it is. <laughs> That's what Gates had in life. Yeah. Um, and then. You know, this is where Job lies and says that um, his thing with Lucia Lostero was a one-time thing, Michael. It's over. Um, And then the narrator tells us it was far from over. Um, And this is where Mm. um, one of the cutscenes would have been, which is where Job is made a um, grilled cheese sandwich and some what I would call uh, jelly. Uh, but I believe Americans refer to it as Jello. Um, Jello, yeah. Yeah, and um, which the scene finishes with um, uh, them talking about the posturepedic, and Job says, "Let's elevate the knees this time," as, uh, <laughs> as Lucille too kind of giggles. Um, but in the cutscene, mm-hmm. there's kind of a bit more about how Lucille is kind of trying to say that she's doing stuff for him that. Um, his mother would never do. One of the things that I thought was interesting with that and potentially a reason why they cut it, I mean, first and foremost, I think we still get the the full effect of the joke, even with just the um, uh, let's lift our knees this time with the the posturepedic. Um, But the other thing is I got the feeling with her, she makes him grilled cheese and tomato soup and a glass of milk in a very motherly way 
and they're playing off that, and I felt that it, it sort of infringed a little on Buster's whole motif, mm. where he has that same difficult relationship with her. Yeah, and also because we're coming up to the auction again, which is kind of where, um, you know, where the whole Buster and Lucille 2 relationship kind of really started to kick off last year, I think obviously they wanted to avoid too many echoes of that. They do make a deliberate echo later on with the auction, but I I think having more of the kind of motherly stuff would have just made it too much of a kind of rerun of the the whole Buster relationship. Um, Mm -hmm. And, of course, uh, Job goes to mock Michael uh, by doing his chicken dance. (laughs) But he just stands... I love... He stands on the... um, the Segway and just goes go, 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 go. rather than actually jumping off. <laughs> and even Michael says, You're gonna get jumping off and around, do you? yeah. You're gonna get off and you do your little dance. And of course, Job lies and says, I hurt my ankle yesterday shooting hoops. Just shooting thing. hoops. <laughs> and then we, we flash back, oh, to cover. we flash back very quickly to Job um, doing the chicken dance with Buster and kind of hurting his ankle. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, Buster screaming, Mother, mother, at the end of the scene, which I think is quite funny. Um, we don't, and this is the only time Buster's in the episode, right? Yeah, I was going to say we don't get a great deal of Buster in this episode. He's not in, and I think that's, yeah, that's just pro- a short cutaway. Yeah, I think that's probably to make sure that there wasn't too much retreading of the too obvious, yeah, yeah, the kind of Lucille two stuff. Um, that will become kind of more prominent in the next episode where we have Uncle Jack and we we have Buster and and Job kind of stalking Lucille too. Um, so I guess they were kind of holding that relationship off. Um, and this is where we, we learn that Oscar only has two pair of pants. And uh, yeah. one of them has been thrown out after Lupe washed them. And Oscar says, Well, that puts a lot of pressure on this pair. <laughs> and I said it, like, at this point, I think I said it every single time we see Oscar. But I like how Jeffrey Tambor kind of distinguishes the two different personalities. And mm-hmm. this is one of the episodes where he gets to be George as Oscar, as well as being George and Oscar in this episode. Um, mm, absolutely, you're right. Yeah, so I, okay. I think it's interesting. He delineates the characters so well that when he's playing George as Oscar, it doesn't seem quite the same as him just being Oscar. Um, yeah. And I've, yeah. I've said it before, sometimes you forget that they are both played by one actor. They, they, seem, they seem so distinctly like twins. And so Mm -hmm. their personalities are are so kind of well-written that they do seem like two different people. Um, And it just speaks for how talented of an actor Jeffrey Tambor is, yeah. Yeah. Um, And Lindsay is getting a fur while Michael realizes that if he wants to run into Sally Sitwell at the club, uh, he's (laughs) he's gonna need to give her that a favor, favor. Yeah. yeah and of course i love the way he says i know what it's going to cost me <laughs> she's kind of <laughs> and i love price has been established i love lucille's delusion where she's like if there are other bidders back off gracefully shout out <laughs> i get her 364 days a year for free or something and i love how michael's instantly you're not going to hear that phrase. <laughs> so, was that an on the? I want to know: is that an on the spot thing that she made up, or has she been like fantasizing about one of her sons bidding on her, and then there's a whole bidding war that escalates over this, and she has to have a line ready for them? Um, I, I mean, I guess this is kind of something that she says every year, basically, because um, yeah, you know, we saw previously that she goes to um, 
you know this auction so i'm guessing she goes every year and obviously the when the bluth had like more largesse i'm guessing she made someone in her family bid large amounts on her to try and make her mm-hmm. seem more important so uh, i'm guessing yep. she kind of already has all these lines ready um but yeah i mean she does come up with it very quickly and it is of course terrible yeah um and we get a kind of a, a very little f- Kind of the ongoing Blue Man story keeps going, but with Tobias uh, looking for a notice at this notice board again, uh, which is how he found out about um, the fire sale in season one, I think, and how he found out about the Blue Man group and obviously mistook them for uh, a group of of depressed men. Uh, (laughs) Depressed people. uh, Yeah, uh, earlier in the season, and he, he tells a couple that walks past... They're literally blue, not sad. <laughs> I find it odd that the Blue Man Group feel the need to advertise because at this point they were so well known. Uh, but I, I guess yeah, they're very uh, popular by now. Yeah, I, I guess you know they someone maybe that was like an old flyer from when they started. Um, and when Michael gets to the club, he forgets that <laughs> they have a dress code for lunch. Yeah, you know, and Michael puts on the jacket, and of course he says, "I can't wear this. I look like I'm 16." <laughs> Um, and it is quite a big jacket, and it does make Jason Bateman look quite young. Um, although, obviously, we all know what Jason Bateman really looked like when he was 16, because he was in Teen Wolf 2. Um, he was in Teen Wolf, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. so... Um, and I love how he kind of, you know, decides to not, like, go through with this plan, essentially, and then he kind of has to back off. Um, but he still mm-hmm. kind of can't flirt with Sally while Stan is there, so he's basically just having lunch in this oversized jacket for no real reason. Yeah. And then possibly my favourite scene in the entire kind of episode, and possibly some of Will Arnett's best kind of deliveries, um, where <laughs> Lucille too says, read me the appetizers again. And of course, Job says, Fried cheese with club sauce. Popcorn shrimp. With club sauce. And I love how that's what Lucille 2 likes, is just hearing his voice mm-hmm. reading out food. And it's such a weird kind of dimension to their relationship. Mm-hmm. And he's, he's game for it, too. <laughs> in, in this restaurant, in the club, in the club yeah. he's fine with it. But as soon as he gets spotted, nope, gotta call it off. Well, I love how, like, um, Lucille 2 obviously, you know, has um, the vertigo. And Vertigo. as as Job is saying, chicken fingers. Oh, stop it! You're making me dizzy. With spicy clubs. No, I mean stop. Seal <laughs> two says, "Oh, stop it! You're making me dizzy." And then, of course, yeah. as he says, club sauce, she bangs the table and says, "No, says no. I mean, stop it." And um, that's what gets <laughs> them noticed. But I kind of, I just love how. Um, kind of we i mean they've only kind of been together for like a couple of episodes but i like how this mm-hmm. relationship is being defined in a different way to the buster and lucille 2 relationship which was a lot more mm-hmm. about their frailties and their kind of ailments rather than you know uh, them having any kind of actual sexual chemistry and basically anything to do with sex mm-hmm. scared buster and given that Lucille too had changed him as a baby, was also extremely creepy. Um, yeah, whereas absolutely. with Job, it's a little bit more kind of um, of an adult relationship, um, and I think it, mm-hmm. it's kind of interesting. 
But also, I just love Liza Minnelli in this scene. <laughs> as she's kind of enjoying this this list of food being read out. And not only that, but she says, read the appetizers again. So she's already heard them, but she just wants to hear them again <laughs> from Job. Um, I think the dizziness um, is... is uh like weak in the knees you know i i think she doesn't want to make a scene there but uh i i would have taken it as a compliment to my menu reading mm. yeah i think it crosses over to vertigo after a little bit though yeah <laughs> yeah as as we know um you know dr plum can only do so much with lucille too before uh, his good work gets undone quite easily um and then mm-hmm. obviously this is where um Stan asks them to kind of um, join them. And I love how the narrator says, and so lunch continued with both Blue Boys trying to prove that they weren't interested in the women they were interested in. Um, <laughs> which is a perfect kind of summation of the thing. And then obviously, you know, Sally is trying to flirt with Michael. And this is where Michael says, did you have too much club sauce on your calamari? And I just love the kind of weird <laughs> reoccurring theme of club sauce throughout this whole scene. Um, and then obviously mm. Job is like, you know, talking about old lady glasses when, when Lucille wants Job to read the desserts. Um, and then obviously this is where... And Stan Sitwell... <laughs> yeah, he jumps in. Gladly comes in to try to read the menu. Yeah, with an assortment of ice creams and sorbets. And I do love Ed Begley Jr.'s kind of reading yeah. of that line. And... Yeah, very serious, just very... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And this is where we get Jack McBrayer as uh, waiter number three, as he's identified. Um, which I think is quite funny, uh, where he, he talks about the, um, the increased activity on the card. Uh, and obviously, mm-hmm. we we cut to the scene um, where George is having the the hot tub installed, and for some, for some reason, I mean, he decided to be blind. Um, and I love how George says, "I can't see," but I didn't know there was a doctor installing this. And I love how kind of <laughs> sarcastic that is. These are people who are installing a hot tub in your attic. You don't really need to be that sarcastic yeah. to them. Is that worker... Like, that worker really reminds me of Steve Holt, who is delivering the frozen dinners. It, it's not that worker. It's the guy who comes in with the frozen dinners. That is Steve Holt who comes in with the frozen dinners. Good, good. Yeah. Excellent. I, he, I thought it was. Yeah, because... Yeah, I had to pause it to make sure, yeah. <laughs> I missed that completely. Yeah, Steve Holt has been working delivering stuff, basically. <laughs> and so he kind of... He just pops his head up and says, uh, someone order a case of boiling bag frozen dinners? Um, mm-hmm. Which, of you know, of course, um, uh, he didn't actually say his own name, so I guess that's probably why you missed him, because generally he does say his own name whenever he enters a scene. Um, yeah, he announces his presence. Yeah, and he'll pop up back again in the, uh, the, the, the CD burning party, as it has later CD become. CD burning party. Yeah, <laughs> and um, of course, yeah. <laughs> when asked to, you know... Move, move the expense onto his mother's card. Jack McBrayer is quite clear that she's a pool member only, um, and he says, "And if you excuse me, if my tone is not polite, uh, but this is more polite than she's ever talked to me." <laughs> and I think Jack McBrayer. <laughs> this is where you kind of see Jack McBrayer. Yeah, that is like a very kind of shine a little bit. Jack McBrayer delivery, um, mm-hmm. and then. Uh, and you can just so envision what must have happened. There. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Curse we know Lucille. Uh, we know Lucille so well at this point that we know 
what has gone on. Lucille doesn't need to be present in Lucille jokes anymore is how well <laughs> fleshed out she is. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> once we once we, we get up to the to see the hot tub, uh, we see we see that George Senior has tried out all the different things he said he was gonna do and you know, he tried to drink the water but it was too hot and it tasted like soy sauce <laughs> and he says, I think the chicken teriyaki burst. Uh, and Michael says, yeah. that's why people don't cook in these or install them in attics. And I love um, Jeffrey Tambor's kind of weak reading of... My eyes, they're burning. <laughs> <laughs> they're burning, yeah. But I, he's so great. Yeah, and I love how when Michael says that he, you know, he's made to look very foolish in front of um, Sally Sitwell, George still kind of gets Sally. a weak, did you stick it to her? Um yeah, the weak way he says that is probably my favorite line reading of the entire uh, of the entire episode. George Senior ordered veal masala, which I think is kind of <laughs> perfectly. That's kind of how the blue, you know, that that is what the Bluths would have ordered. Um, yeah, yeah, but I I just kind of love it, and of course we finish with <laughs> George saying, "This isn't turning into the party hangout I hoped." She's just kind of <laughs> just such a such a kind of. Stupid thing that his complete lack of understanding that he is a fugitive. Yeah, throughout yeah. the whole thing. Yeah, I like. And he's got he's got the the big clothing thing on his head uh, when he's talking to the workers and stuff. I mean, yeah, he's he's trying his best. <laughs> and of course, um, <laughs> Michael kind of says that about the uh, you know like about, about the the drowned wolf that George Michael hear, heard. <laughs> He says, I think maybe it was the house yeah. settling. Speaking of settling, how's Anne? <laughs> Any dig it in, you can get him. Yeah, and I, I love the weird phrasing that Michael uses to cover that, where he says, uh, have you settled on an artist's work to burn? Which is <laughs> such a weird way of wow. saying that. Uh, and then, obviously, uh, George Michael is, uh, was going to burn Eminem, which, um, all these years later, that remains kind of... That 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 is one. There's a, a lot of kind of stuff, um, uh, you know, from this show, which is very kind of like early two thousands. Yeah. yeah, especially all the stuff to do with Iraq mm-hmm. and Saddam and, and the rest of it. Uh, but I think that Eminem yeah. thing still kind of stands up. So, um, you know, it sure does. And uh, then he mentions Pat Boone. Um, <laughs> Somebody's got to burn, right? It's <laughs> just such a great end to the whole scene of, of yeah, somebody's got to burn. Uh, and I love how neither of them are completely sure because, you know, Michael's like, I guess. <laughs> mm. uh, and then obviously Tobias walks in with a, a rifle. Uh, and then this is this is where we see that the, there is a, a gun show loophole uh as this, the shop owner, um, played by uh, Brian uh, Baumgartner, says, um, and obviously Tobias, you know, there was there was there happened to be a gun show outside, um, right out yeah, right out back. Just happens to be, <laughs> yeah. Uh, which I mean, I think I don't think this episode is particularly political in any way. Obviously, uh, you know mm-hmm. Moses Taylor shooting a gun with the Second Amendment and all that kind of stuff. It could have been a lot more heavy-handed, but I like how mm. kind of subtle that whole kind of um you know the gun show loophole thing is done because i think i think that's a really kind of pointed way of doing that joke um yeah they get in their digs surreptitiously a little bit yeah uh and then obviously this is where (laughs) this is where job um kind of talks about 
you know, um, how he wants to help Sally uh, siphon something from her car. You know, he shows up in the Corvette, <laughs> car troubles, and then oh, car troubles. Obviously, this is where the fireball actually works. Uh, one of the yeah, rare yeah, times. Yeah, sure does. <laughs> yeah, and obviously, <laughs> Michael's like, you probably shouldn't do the fireball where you si- when you siphon the gas. Uh, and I like how Joe's like, guess this flint's got a little life in it, huh? Um, <laughs> and then obviously, um, and I, I love this. I love the entrance of um, of Modus's Taylor at this particular point because he says fans, and you think he's talking about oh they've they've delayed him because um, you know they recognised him and they asked him for an autograph or whatever. And he says sometimes mm-hmm. it takes a while to jar their memories. So there's a suggestion that he stood around. Making them remember who he is, which I just kind of love mm-hmm. uh, as a cat. Well, it's possible detail. that like all of his audience members are like senile, so <laughs> yeah, they don't remember that they watched Frank Wrench, but they know the guy from the TV, maybe. Yeah, um, and this, of course, is where Tobias <laughs> shoots Lindsay as as <laughs> her heel fall, her heel goes out, and she's dressed in the fur, so of course she looks like a wolf, basically. Um, mm-hmm. And as Moses Taylor returns, he quickly runs away um, because he wants to distance himself from the outlandish Moses Taylor hunts people scandal that had been started by a rabid anti Um And the the funny thing is, like the tabloid uh, uh, on which this story is depicted is the London Sun Times, I think it is, or British Sun Times, <laughs> uh, which combines the Sun and the Times, which were newspapers which at the time of this episode were both owned by uh, Rupert Murdoch, who obviously also owned Fox. Oh, wow. So, yeah. Wow. <laughs> so that is a... Another subtle dig at uh, Fox Network? Yes, I, that's what I was thinking, yeah. It, it probably is a, a kind of... Yeah. And then, obviously, uh, when Michael goes to, to help out... Um, Sally, we see that a car is on fire. <laughs> and, you know, Michael looks heroic putting out the fire, but Sally arrives too late. And then, of course... And he's being carried like a small boy. <laughs> yeah, again. Uh, so this is like the third time that Sally Sitwell has run into him and he's appeared like a small boy, either working in the banana stand or yep. with his gigantic suit on. Um and here being carried he's able to cough out car trouble <laughs> <laughs> yeah. which is great and i love how we kind of get a gilligan cut to job um and the narrator says job had just blown up a car <laughs> i love that there's no doubt in in what happened of course job is telling the story and i love how he finishes by saying all i could think of was if something were ever to happen to me how sad i'd be you know <laughs> Uh, which I guess I guess you're meant to think that he was going to say if something were to happen to him, how you know he would, you know, his friends or family would. Yeah, how balance. other people. It's all about him. Yeah, no. Um, and then of course, when Lucille says he was ashamed to be with him, be with her, uh, Job goes. I was ashamed to be seen with you. I like being with you. <laughs> and Lucille too says that he has no courage, which of course is a line that her uh, her mother once said to a lion. Um, in a film so mm. I don't know if that's deliberate but I feel like it's just a tiny bit of a kind of call out to um, to uh, Liza Minnelli and the whole Judy Garland thing um, and then obviously it's possible. Job gets nervous as he thinks that he is his mom next door um, which I kind of like 
Uh, and then obviously Lucille is saying to Michael that you know he can bid up to ten thousand, um, to which he says the deal is off. You know you didn't tell me it was a restricted mm-hmm. membership. Um, and I love how she says you'll have to find someone else to do your bidding, uh, which can obviously great play on words right there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that is yeah that is I just I just love that that's that's something that Arrested Development does so well. But yeah. Uh, and then obviously Lucille says there is no one else to do my bidding. Uh, we haven't really had an explanation of where Buster is in this episode, but I'm guessing he's somewhere with the army. No. Uh, no one has explicitly said that yeah. out loud. Uh, I'm guessing that's where he is. The last time we see him, he's in camos in the flashbacks. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. I would yeah I'm guessing he's And that had somewhere. just happened the previous day, so I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm guessing he's been deployed somewhere. This is, this is where Sally then turns up to the hospital and... Um, we find out it wasn't her car, <laughs> and uh, Michael mm-hmm. Michael goes to ask her out, but he starts he gets like a coughing fit, and this is where they, mm-hmm. <laughs> they find out, you know that uh, the uh, a guy comes by and says that um, they've called his mother, while Michael is still coughing, and then obviously Sally leaves, and as Michael's coughing fit finally subsides, he says, "Go out sometime," <laughs> which is. Mm-hmm. I love how he still gets the thought out even after there's no point because she's you know completely gone, um, long gone. Yeah. And then obviously this is where Lucille, as the narrator tells us, turned to the son she least expected to support her. Um, and the narrator tells us, and Job was depressed enough to do so. <laughs> Which I... So you get the idea that Job has to be beaten down into a state of complete depression to do something for anyone else <laughs> yeah i know i sort of took away from this that that's how the family generally works like mm, it, mm. that that lucille so degrades and debases <laughs> the children that that's how they function as a family or at least how they used to yeah, yeah i mean she did say in the pilot she doesn't care for job so i'm guessing that over the 40 f- <laughs> something years that they've they've been a family that she's made that quite clear um, but I do, yeah, I do love yeah. that. Like Job is only there because he was literally just next door with Lucille too, um, mm-hmm. you know. So it, it's only because he's been rejected by Lucille too that he's even in a, is depressed enough a state to try and bid on his own mother. Um, and then this mm-hmm. is we we come back to the Christian music bonfire. Um, <laughs> we see Uncle Paul making a return from uh, Afternoon Delight, um, having people feel his muscles. Um, and then, you know, maybe says, I hope I didn't confuse people by saying it was a CD burning party, which does date this episode quite considerably. I was going to say, yeah, yeah. That, that does. Kids today would not understand that reference, probably. No. And then, of course, Steve Holt walks in saying he's burned like 10 CDs from somebody's MP3 player, which, again, dates this mm. episode so much. Uh, and obviously, Anne is like, this is a disaster. And then obviously maybe just tells her, maybe you should listen to some of the music. Uh, now, given that in Afternoon Delight, she was having like mass at like 6am and then and like another mass later in the day because they're on Jerusalem time and all yeah, this kind of stuff. Yeah. I don't think she would listen to any of the music, but you know, uh, I guess. And of course, I love that George Michael says that he has a tape of the Jerky Boys that he accidentally didn't burn yet. Um, yeah. Which... Uh, you know, it's kind of the uh, a very roundabout way of George Michael getting Anne up to his room. Um, and then, of course, we get to the auction where <laughs> the auctioneer says we have last year's charity case. Um, and Lindsay's kind of like 
still tranquilized, and she says, Stick a wrench in me, I'm done. Which is such an odd turn of phrase. Uh, once again. Well, then we come back to Tobias saying, My wife is humiliated, not talking about that she is, like, tranked up on stage <laughs> at all. Yeah. It's more about him. I love how he says, uh, I haven't been the perfect husband. <laughs> Which... Kind of, you know, and then of course I love how Michael's like, I've got 5,000, but if you want to make a low bid, and of course Tobias just says, 5,000! And Mike's, uh, I think you overpaid. Like. <laughs> yeah. Um, and this is of course where Anne prank calls saying, hey, rubberneck. <laughs> just, just kind of... Which I'm, I'm surprised Anne got into it so easily uh, when she was so against anything that wasn't christian well you know maybe this is her rebellion i feel like george michael is a bad influence on anne quite frankly uh, mm. <laughs> which is hilarious that george michael of all people is a bad influence to anyone but and then of course we get to sally sitwell the auctioneer announcing it by saying we finally got a good one coming up sally sitwell which <laughs> i don't think the auctioneer should be commenting this much on the uh on the, the people who are being uh, bid yeah, on. on the people. Um, and then obviously this is where Stan outlines that um, he was hoping that Michael would bid on him. You know, he says, you're a good kid, you always have been. Not like that father of yours. Um, and though, you know, he kind of apologises for saying that um, George Sr. is a showboat. And obviously Michael's like, I've called him so much worse. Um, <laughs> and then this is where we find out that the car that got torched was Stan Sitwell's, which leads to the opportunity where um, Michael can sell the Corvette, which he got in the previous episode, and, um, you know, with that money, he bids 15000 um for Sally Sitwell. Uh, mm-hmm. And I, this is where we find out that it is to receive the Greens. Where Michael says it's for a good yep. cause, and obviously it's not. Um, and then obviously this is this is where Michael reveals that he sold the Corvette to her father. We get a quick flashback to Stan Sitwell um, going for a drive and trying to drive, losing his wig and mm-hmm. one of his eyebrows. Um, and <laughs> I don't know why Sally kind of disapproves of his her father having a, um, you know. Uh, a convertible this much because like if he's going to lose a wig mm-hmm. he's going to lose a wig just let him lose his wig like what difference does it make at the end of the day yeah um, and he should know you'd think by now that yeah. this is going to happen to him I mean if anything it says that Stan Sitwell is in denial about his condition because he keeps getting all these different in episodes he does really want to cover it up yeah but it's kind of a weird contortion here yeah it's it's just it's just an odd thing um, and then, of course, you know, this is where <laughs> Sally says, um, I'm not like you. I'd rather date someone my father doesn't approve of. And, of course, Michael's <laughs> after she's walking away, he says, that's exactly like me, which is true. You know, he was only bidding on her to kind of mm-hmm. get the disapproval of his father. And now he's got the approval of Stan yeah. Sitwell. And then, of course, <laughs> uh, this is where Job is ready to kind of bid on his mother. And this is where he sees that um, Sitwell is is bidding on Lucille too, and uh, I love I love how he he kind of lays it out by saying first he fires me, then he steals my mother's best friend, <laughs> uh, and I kind of love that hesitation. And then of course he bids all ten grand on uh, on Lucille too. Oh, Lucille too. 
which which is the grand gesture she wants to see. Yeah. Once again, how great. Once again, she gets a grand gesture from a Bluth boy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, then, and I love how the auctioneer says, up from eight hundred dollars to ten thousand dollars. Wow. <laughs> You guys really want a new golf course and all from non-members yeah which i kind of love i just love how the blues are so enthusiastically bidding on people and they're not even members of this golf course apart from lucille of course who is only a pool member well and that's the the recurring joke of they never care what the actual uh thing is for yeah with tba <laughs> all of these other things and basically like they'll just throw money around carelessly yeah, to, to make themselves look to good. Their own ends. Um, and then, of course, yeah. we get to the end of the episode, and on the next Arrested Development, George Sr. shows up to bid on Lucille. And, um, you know, I don't know why, but he howls <laughs> like a wolf. And because he's, he smells like chicken teriyaki... Uh, which it draws the wolf out. Yeah, yep. which is, is not completely correct, because earlier it was veal teriyaki. Um, it mm. calls the wolf, um, who... <laughs> From what I can tell, mounts George Senior, um, and he kind of we hear him kind of almost giving in to the wolf uh, as the uh uh-huh. yeah he's not making noises <laughs> like he's being uh, bitten yeah some other thing is happening to him yeah and um, and that's where we end the episode but there was a cutscene for the on the next uh, which is where uh, Anne is arrested for. Um, copyright piracy <laughs> piracy basically yeah the party that she a- that she kind of advertised for some reason the fbi have decided to crack down on piracy <laughs> they've got nothing else to do so they're gonna come to this cd burning party and arrest Anne. yeah uh and the interesting thing is that this is where her middle name is revealed um mm. in this cutscene where they say Anne paul veal um which is a kind of odd middle name but uh, yeah so I, I just mm-hmm. think it's interesting that they kind of cut that out uh, so if you know about her middle yeah. name it's only really because of a cutscene basically um, wow and I, I mean I, I can understand why they cut that scene as well because obviously Anne is not meant to be that exciting and I think getting arrested by the FBI for copyright piracy almost makes her character kind of too interesting even though of course Mae Whitman mm-hmm. is great and- in this role um, it is a bit ridiculous, even for the show, and even for the shows, hmm, even the shows uh, on the next Arrested Development sequences. Yeah, which tend to kind of be a little bit more outside of the continuity. But yeah, in this particular case, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, yes, they they kind of they dropped it, and I can kind of understand why. Um, Mm-hmm. So, is there anything else that you think we need to cover in this episode? Um, just one thing that I put together for this episode called Burning Love. There's so much of this heat and fire imagery. Um, we have the hot tub and the expression, my eyes are burning. <laughs> you have the flint and the lighter fluid. You yep. have the car fire. You have the air conditioner and the banana stand. You have the Christian music bonfire, which becomes a CD burning party. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have uh, Job commenting on being fired. You have spicy <laughs> club sauce. The, from the Jerky Boys, you have jerky, which is cooked. 
mm-hmm. uh, overheat for a long time, and finally Michael being burnt at the end of the episode. Yeah, they really, they really did go heavy on those references in this particular episode. <laughs> the different types of burning. Mm-hmm. They try to keep to a theme. Yeah. Yeah, um, and something else. I, th- I mean, obviously, also, um, you know, George, George, um, Michael says somebody's got to burn. Which I quite love. Um, also, I just wanted to make a note that the, the song that plays while Moses Taylor and Lindsay are on their date is called Shot by Love, which of course is sort yep. of what happens to her. And it's just another of those great songs uh, that uh, David Schwartz, I think, is the name of the uh, composer. Uh, he has a habit of doing these like, mm-hmm. really catchy songs. Uh, and that kind of plays a couple of times throughout the episode, but uh, yeah, I just, I... yeah, I mentioned my love for that, or, or just all of the songs on Arrested Development in the last episode was in, and "Shot by Love" is definitely another one that is just great, <laughs> and I'm pretty sure it gets use, it gets more playtime uh, throughout the rest of the series at one point or the other. Yeah, yeah, they do, they do kind of call back to quite a few of the songs in in a, in future episodes, but yeah, that's I just I just love because. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of playing, and then she gets shot, and then and then it kind of the song then kind of is a commentary on the scene, and I think that's Comes in. that's something that they do quite a lot with the songs in uh, in Arrested Development, but uh, yeah. So mm-hmm. uh, well, then I will say that on the next episode of I've made a huge mistake. Um, my guests will be Brian Flynn and Caleb Green, and we'll be covering what is generally felt to be. Uh, one of the most polarizing episodes of Arrested Development, which mm. is Ready, Aim, Marry Me. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> I understand why. <laughs> uh, where apparently some people don't like that episode, but uh, I think it's quite yeah. funny. Um, so, you know. I, I think so too. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, we'll get to meet Uncle Jack. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, just for that. Shoot me! Just for that one episode. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, join me next time for, for that. Uh, otherwise, I'm going to say, uh, do you have anything to, that you wish to plug? I'm going to start with Eric. Okay, um, you mentioned at the top of the episode that I am uh, part of many other podcasts, so you've heard this before. Um, and you can follow me on Twitter at capital E underscore capital H A R Z 1138. Great stuff. And Jeremy? Uh, as mentioned earlier, I do a podcast with some friends called Taxes and Tater Tots. It's a podcast about growing up and trying not to. Uh, you can find that at taxesandtatertots.com or on Twitter at taxestots. Uh, well, thanks to both of you guys for joining me today. Thanks very much, Darren. Thank you. Uh, and otherwise, goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye.